Well, good afternoon, Summit Bible Church. Good to be with you today. You can open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2 as we move along through this incredible book. Hoping to live worthy of our calling, this great calling from God. Bishop John Reed, Bishop John Reed tells the story of driving a school bus through Australia. And the school bus carried whites and the Aborigines. He was tired of all the bickering and fighting between the two groups. One day, far out in the country, he pulled the bus over and ordered all the children off. He had a lecture to give. Of course, when they got out, the kids separated into their colored groups. Bishop Reed had enough. He looked at the white kids and said, or asked them, what color are you? And they replied, white. Mr. Reed said, no, you're not. You're green. He said, anybody who rides my bus is green. He turned to the Aborigines and asked, what color are you? They replied, black. Again, Mr. Reed said, no, you're not. You're green. Anybody who rides my bus is green. Now get back on the bus and try to get along. So the kids, with their heads down, got back on the bus, and it was quiet for a time. It seemed as though his lecture had worked until several miles down the road. He heard a boy from the back stand up and announce, All right, light green on this side and dark green on this side. Oh, man. There is no doubt that an ethnic divide exists in fallen humanity. That there is hostility between nations. This is not a novel issue. It's been a problem throughout all of fallen history. Now, various economists, philosophers, theorists have proposed their diagnosis of the problem. Some say the problem is economic. It's prejudice in the money-making structures. Some say the problem is educational. It's prejudice in the school systems. Some say the problem is political. It's prejudice in the government. Some say the problem is ecumenical. It's prejudice in the church structures. Some say the problem is residential. It's prejudice that starts in the family unit. God tells us the problem is worse than that. God tells us the problem is spiritual. Sin has placed an unassailable chasm between you and God. And the separation from God results in a separation from each other. The root of prejudice is sin in the hearts of men. That is the diagnosis, according to Ephesians 2, verses 11 and 12. The Gentiles had all kinds of problems, all kinds of problems with the Jews. Paul addresses the ethnic divide between them. There was this fleshly distinction in verse 11. He talks about the uncircumcision and then the circumcision. And the Jews lorded this over the Gentiles. We see in verse 12 that the Jews actually had incredible privilege. It wasn't an economic privilege. It wasn't a political privilege or power. No, God, God said they had privilege because they were near to him. They were near to him by the covenants that were given to them, by the promises made to them, by the law, the theocracy that God gave them, and they abused and wasted their privilege. They put up more walls between them and the Gentiles, therefore pushing the Gentiles 
further away from them, them, inadvertently pushing the Gentiles further away from access to God. The Gentiles were far off. Far off. And so the bigger problem for the Gentiles was not the hostility between them and the Jews, as described in verse 11, but the biggest problem for the Gentiles was at the top of verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from who? Christ. That's the problem. There's the real divide between God and the sinner. That's the biggest problem in humanity. Across all of the human race, the biggest problem is sin. And this is the problem that needs to be dealt with. And, and by the way, this wasn't just a problem for Gentiles or all the other nations. This was a problem for the privileged, for the privileged Jews as well. I hope you're ready to flip your Bibles around today. We're going to be going in a couple of different places, but I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 3. Turning your Bibles now to Romans chapter 3. I want you to see this from the text here. This isn't my words. This is God's word. Sin is the problem. Okay? Sin. It's at the root of prejudice. Sin is at the root of all these symptoms that we see in our society. Sin needs to be dealt with. Look at verse 9. What then? Are we, Paul speaking here, are we Jews any better off? What's the answer? No. Not at all. For we have already charged that all. Is that everybody? All. Both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace, and the way of peace they have not known. Peace doesn't come out of sinful hearts. Hostility, enmity, anger, strife comes out of sinful hearts. Sinful hearts produce those other symptoms of sin. It points back to the root. We all, Jew and Gentile, Greek, barbarian, we all, without God, do not know the way of peace. We can't. So here is the problem illustrated. Okay, I just want to emphasize this. I have a diagram up here on the slide. Here's the problem. The biggest barrier, the biggest barrier in this illustration is the sin barrier between sinner A and sinner B and God. Sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from Christ. The Gentiles' biggest problem, again, was not their division and hostility, between each other, the the Jews and the Gentile, but their sin and hostility against God. So this is the problem that must be addressed. But this sin breeds then what? Produces separate hostility between sinner A and sinner B. Whatever you like, put, put different ethnicities in sinner A and sinner B, the hostilities, the relevant hostilities that you think about today, Ethnic group A, ethnic group B. The hostility between them is a result of the sin that separates them from God. Again, the diagnosis that we came to last week, you can go to the next slide here. The diagnosis is that separation from God results in separation from each other. How is this fixed? There's the problem, 
How are we going to fix the problem? Well, that's where we come to today. Verse 13 is up there on the screen. And this is the good news. Okay? So this is the answer. This is the solution. We have an accurate diagnosis. Now we're going to fix the problem. We have a solution here. The question for you today is, do you believe that God's word is sufficient? Do you believe that God's word is sufficient? Do you believe that if he makes an accurate diagnosis, that he's also going to provide the solution to the problem, the fix? He does. And it's here in Ephesians 2.13. The real solution to prejudice. The real solution to what our culture calls the racism that we see rampant across America. Here's the solution. Ephesians 2.13 But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's move slowly through this verse. I really want you to feel what's being said here. But now, that's a strong contrast. It's going from the bad news, the separation, the hostility described in verses 11 and 12 to good news. Now something different from from who you Gentiles were to who you are now. But now, in Christ Jesus. I hope you didn't forget the significance of that phrase. In Christ Jesus. He, Jesus, is the agent of salvation. It is only in Him, through Him, and by Him that we can be saved. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, Who were the far off? The Gentiles. I don't know your ethnic backgrounds. But if you're not a Jewish descent, if you're not an ethnic Jew, then you're a, you're a Gentile. So this is us. This is me. You who were once far off. Pushed away by the Jews. Ultimately separated from God in sin. You who were once far off have been. Have been. Have been. What is the tense of that? Past. Has this happened? This has already happened. Have been. Past tense in the English, aorist in the Greek. This is a completed action. You have been what? Brought near. Gentile, you who were once far off, but now you have been brought near. How? How have the far off, the outcasts, the uncircumcised been brought near? By the blood of Christ. Blood built the bridge. You can write that phrase down. It's going to come up a lot through this message. Blood built the bridge between the Gentile and the Jew. Between ethnic group A and ethnic group B. Blood built the bridge. It's not the blood of bulls and goats. Not the blood of men and women killed by prejudice. Not the blood of martyrs killed for the cause of justice. It was the blood of who? Christ. Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to save sinners, His blood built the bridge. So this is the solution. Here's the next diagram. The solution to the problem is the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's been accomplished. I referenced an article last week and the, the author says, what, what should we do about racial reconciliation? 
You don't need to do anything. It's been done. It's been done. What we must do is point back to the solution and live it out in our lives. The question for you today is this. Is Christ's blood sufficient? Is it sufficient? Or or is it sufficient for peace? Or, Or do you want to add another message? Do you have something else more important to talk about? Do you have another person that you want us to look back to? Or do you think more blood should be spilled? To really make the point. No, look back to the blood that Christ spilt at Calvary. You want peace? Go there. That's where Paul takes these Gentiles. He says, look back. Brother and sister, don't don't just look back to the civil rights movement of the 1960s. You didn't go back far enough. Don't don't just look back to the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863. You you didn't go back far enough. Go back 2,000 years. Look at the cross of Jesus Christ where God killed the power of sin and the power of prejudice so that Jew and Gentile, Greek and barbarian, black and white and brown can come together and worship Yahweh. His blood built the bridge. I understand, Morgan. The gospel is important. You might be thinking. Christ's blood is significant. But don't we also need to say other things? I mean, at a moment like this, with such hostility and division politically, don't we need to add some some other words to this? Don't we also need to say, hey, love your neighbor too? That's good. That's in the Bible too, isn't it? And you know what truly loving your neighbor looks like? Well, let me tell you what it looks like. Let's let's let the culture define it for you. What does loving your neighbor look like? Well, well, doesn't loving your neighbor mean you make sure that everybody has the same opportunity that you have? Doesn't loving your neighbor also make sure that everybody has the same outcome that you have? Shouldn't we also, in love, of course... Protest all the power structures, uh, the economic, political, and ecumenical power structures that harbor this kind of prejudice. Aren't these good causes? Aren't these good messages? Let me tell you something. These endeavors are dead in the water without Christ. They treat the symptoms of the problem rather than cutting out the root, which is sin. We need, we must preach Christ in addition. No, we must must preach Christ, and the addition is that we live out Christ's love in our lives. And obviously the two never become untethered. I had a herniated disc right out of high school. I think I've talked about it before due to sports, and uh, MRIs revealed a significant bulge between my L4 and my L5 vertebrae. It was a sports injury. And for five years, for five years, doctors, chiropractors, physical therapists, pharmacies, pain management professionals treated my symptoms And I was still feeling the pain. Finally, after five years, I walked into a surgeon's office and said, cut out the problem. And he was willing. So minimally invasive surgery, he cut out the bulge that was pushing against my nerve. And through a little bit of exercise after the surgery, I'm no longer in pain. Why? Because he cut out the problem. I didn't need pain management. I didn't need more pills to take when I'm hurt. I didn't need all these symptomatic stretches that would just maybe 
make me more flexible. I needed him to cut out the problem. Without killing sin, listen to me, without killing sin, you cannot kill prejudice. It won't die. Without Christ, you cannot have peace. We just had a, an inauguration on, on Wednesday. Inaugural speech by our president. And it was a speech calling for what? Unity. That was its theme. Peace. But it was without Christ. He called for citizens to lay aside their differences, political, racial, religious, and unite for the future of America. That sounds good. The problem is that we can't. We can't. We can't without Christ. There is no bridge. There is no bridge between us without Christ. Sure, sure we could have civility. Sure we can be more cordial. Sure we can have this kind of shallow kindness and generosity toward one another. But the beast of sin still lives in the hearts of men. And it will raise its ugly head again. No one can slay this beast except the blood of Jesus Christ. He and only He is the bridge of reconciliation between God and man and sinner with sinner. And so what is our message? We preach Christ. How should we live? Live like Christ. Love like the Savior. Without bias, without prejudice. Because prejudice is sin. Greatest impact that we can make on a culture that is declining is to preach Christ and live like Christ. True believers, true believers, you and I, true believers have the ability, have the ability to reconcile and to have right relationship with one another. We have that ability because Christ is in us. And so we preach Christ and we live Christ. There will be no prejudice from us. And Lord willing, we'll advance his kingdom by preaching the gospel until our dying breaths. His blood built the bridge. Now there are two barriers that we see in the remaining verses here. Two barriers that needed demolishing. We needed a demo crew to go in there and just rip things up. And Christ's blood did the work. Only Christ's blood could demolish these barriers and create a bridge. Look at number one. The first barrier, obviously, that needed to be demolished by the blood of Christ is the hostility between God and man. That great wall labeled sin. That needed to be abolished. So how did Christ's blood break down this barrier and build the bridge? His blood, get ready for it, big word, expiates sin and reconciles us to God. Christ's blood expiates sin and reconciles us to God. What does it mean, the word expiate or expiation? John the Baptist summarizes it up perfectly in one statement, okay? John the Baptist summarizes and gives us the definition of expiation. You can... This verse will be on the screen here, John 1, 29. Behold, looking at Jesus, the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. What do you think expiation means? It takes sin away. There's only one who can break down, take away the dividing wall of sin that separates us from God. Who is it? Jesus Christ, and He did it by His blood. Jesus took away our sins, and how did He do it? Well, He did it by His blood. Listen, Jesus didn't just sweep sin under the rug. He didn't just look it over and be like, oh, all right, it's all right, everybody does it. I'm just going to ignore it. No, no, God is just. He deals justly with sin, 
right and wrong, and so sin must be punished. So how did he take them away? He had to take our sin and put it on someone else. The wages of sin is death, and someone had to pay your wage. Christ did. Jesus Christ did. Sacrificial love. Jesus Christ died in your place on the cross. He volunteered His own precious blood so that God wouldn't require yours. Blood built a bridge. Of course, this was not resolved by a simple blood transfusion. Lord, just give me a little bit of your blood. (laughs) Death is the spilling of blood. Leviticus 17 tells us life is in the blood, and therefore God required the spilling of blood or sacrificial death for atonement. That's what Christ accomplished on the cross. He was a perfect sacrifice. He took away your sin and put it on Himself, thereby killing the hostility between us and God. Look at verse 16. So Ephesians 2.16. And that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through what? The cross. The instrument by which Christ died. The cross reconciled us to God. Blood had to be spilled in order for you to be right with God. Romans 5.10 While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by what? The death of His Son. Colossians 1.20 And through Him, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by what? The blood of His cross. Blood was required. Blood was spilled. And His blood expiates our sin. It takes it away from us. Therefore, it takes away that dividing wall, that separation, that chasm that stands between us and God. Jesus' blood took care of all that debt, all that baggage, all that sin. The sins that you would commit in the future, the sins you commit today, the sins you committed in your past. If you're in Christ, you're covered in the blood. That's why Christians make such a big deal about blood. It's not anybody's blood. It's our Savior's blood who is spilled for us. John Eddy, a Scottish theologian, writes, The cross that slew Jesus slew also the hostility between man and God. His death was the death of animosity. Man, you could be at peace with God because of Jesus. This is the message that sinners need. This is what they need more than anything else. They need to know how they can be right with God. They need to know how to deal with the dividing wall between the sinner and God. They need to take this wall most seriously. We shouldn't detract, distract them from this concern for lesser concerns or smaller walls. First, we must deal with the wall that separates us from God. Don't distract your listeners with all the other injustices committed against each other. Consider first the greatest injustice that all of us have committed against God. And there's only one bridge for that. There's only one way. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. We preach Christ. He is the solution, the bridge between God and man. He killed that dividing wall of hostility. There's a second barrier, a second barrier that divides that Christ, his blood breaks down. This second barrier is the hostility between man and man, each other, ethnic group A and ethnic group B. 
Christ broke down that barrier too by his blood sacrifice. Write this down. It's up on the screen. His blood closes the ethnic divide and reconciles us to each other. God's, Christ's blood brings us together in a way that no one else can. There was hostility between Jew and Gentile. That is to be sure. And this hostility goes back thousands of years, millennia. This was not God's design from the beginning. The Jews were promised by God to be a nation, to have land, to be God's chosen people through which God would bless the other nations. Well, Israel didn't get around to that part because of their sin. They were selfish, prideful, and rather than using their privilege for God's glory and blessing other nations, they used it against other nations to curse them, to separate themselves from them. Circumcision was a wall. The ceremonial law was a wall. The Jews added up another 613, 613 laws. That's a lot of walls that they built up to separate themselves, to distance themselves from the Gentiles in worship. Of course, I described last week the Sarek. Do you remember the Sarek wall? In Herod's temple, the outer courts were the Gentile courts. That's where the Gentiles could come in and and worship Yahweh. Of course, the Jews used that as a market to take advantage of the Gentiles. And then they put up a wall. It was called the Sarek. And this Sarek wall had inscriptions on it. The inscription said, no stranger can enter here. Wow. Gentiles excluded to the outer courts. Only Jews could go into the middle. Talk about prejudice. This seems like an unassailable wall. There's so much baggage here. There's so much hostility. So many reasons to fight and to be at odds. It seems impossible, but of course we know what is impossible with men is what? Possible with God. Look at Ephesians 2.14. Look back at the text here. For he, Jesus, himself, emphasis on Jesus, is our peace. Jesus is our peace. Can't have a peace symbol without Christ. Can't have peace with one another without Jesus. Jesus is peace. He is peace. Look at what he did. Who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. I think this is a symbolistic reference to the Sarek. Jesus came and demolished the Sarek wall like a wrecking ball. Just obliterated it. No division now between Jew and Gentile as they worship Yahweh. Look at further. He broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Look at 15. By abolishing, strong word, abolishing, getting rid of, tearing down the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Let me explain this here because it might be a little bit confusing. What is this law of commandments expressed in ordinances? Did, did Jesus come in and just say, hey, everything you heard in the Old Testament, it's all wrong. Get it all out. Did he totally just disregard Israel here? Did he abolish the whole law? No. You have to look carefully at the phrasing here. He abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. That is Also, it could be worded, expressed in ceremonies. Jesus Christ abolished the ceremonial laws. The ceremonial laws, the laws of distinction between Jew and Gentile in their salvation. So this would include the feasts, the sacrifices, the divisions in the temple, the offerings, the laws of cleanliness and purification. And all other such distinctive outward commandments for the unique separation of Israel 
from the nations. Jesus Christ obliterated that that wall. He tore it down. No longer any cause or there's no reason for hostility between the two groups because the wall is torn down. We don't need sacrifices anymore. That much is obvious. Why? Because Christ is the one and perfect sacrifice. We don't need all these feasts. The Passover. What do we celebrate? What's our feast? Communion. The Lord's Supper to remember one sacrifice. Jesus Christ. Who did what? Spilled his blood for us. And the cup represents his blood that was spilt for us in the new covenant. We don't need these laws of cleanliness and purification because what did, what did God say to Israel in the new covenant? I will make you clean from the heart. I will purify you from the heart. I will write my law on your heart. And we see here the Gentiles are included in that. The two are made one. The two come together. It's like this two, these two groups go into one. In fact, it says it quite clearly in the text. Look at verse 15. That he might create in himself, in Christ, one new man in place of the two. So making peace. It's as if God is saying, you have the human race, and then you have the different ethnicities that make it up. It's as if God creates a new race altogether. You're not just a part of the human race like everybody else. You are God's chosen people. One group. One people. No distinction in salvation. We are all one with each other in Jesus Christ. That is beautiful. Other verses tell us this. Colossians 3.11, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Look at Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Christ is the unifier. use the the triangle illustration but it just illustrates this so clearly you have these two groups you have the cross that connects them as these two groups venture toward Christ what happens they come closer together they have more cause for unity than division no dividing walls further separate them God makes no distinction in salvation he does not show partiality to one group or the other We all, no matter what our ethnic background is, our cultural background, wherever we came from, who raised us, our economic circumstances, we have more in common in Christ than you have with your family members and ancestors who are not in Christ. My mom tells me that I remind her of her dad, my grandpa Bud. He was tall, he was thin like me, had a big nose. I get my nose from him. She says, the Parker genes run, run strong in me. She says a reminder of her brother, too, my Uncle, my uncle Lane. Uh, I think we're, we're a mix of uh, middle European backgrounds. A lot of Czechoslovakian in me. Uh, Central European long nose, I have that feature. Polish mix, maybe. I'll tell you what, I have a lot more in common with my brother, James Rosa, than my grandfather. A lot more in common with him. He has parents from Honduras and El Salvador. Doesn't look a lot like me. Definitely different skin different hair, body types, facial features. I'll tell you what, me and James share a common love. 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. We share a, a brotherhood that cannot be broken, a closer relationship, more in common, more to talk about than I have with my grandfather or had with my grandfather or even my Uncle Lane. Because we both have Christ, Christ brings us together. Christ unifies us. Christ builds a bridge between ethnicities and makes us one. There should not be any ethnic prejudice between a believer and another believer. It doesn't matter their ethnic backgrounds because they are united in Christ. They are one in Christ. They are no longer two. This is the beauty of the gospel. We are called to go and share this gospel with who? We are to make disciples of who? All nations. So that you, Christian, can know that when you enter the throne room of God, you have access, by the way, and we'll talk about that in a minute. You enter the throne room of God, you're praying to God. You can know, believer, that as you pray to the Lord in Fontana, California, alone, communing with him, going to his throne for mercy, for grace, for love, to bring your petitions, your requests to him. You also have a sister in the Middle East who's going to the throne room of God, petitioning, asking God for mercy and grace in her circumstances. You both worship the same God. And you speak different languages. You may be a different gender. You may have different colors, different ethnic backgrounds, different circumstances altogether. But you are united in Christ. I'll tell you what, the best place to see this scene, to see this, is on the mission field. I don't know if you have an opportunity to go on missions trips. I hope that's in the future here at Summit Bible Church, and we'll put some short-term teams together, Lord willing. But the best opportunity to see this is to go to another country where you definitely don't speak the language. You look nothing like these people, and you see and meet brothers and sisters in Christ, and there's a bond instantly. You know that person loves Jesus and so do you. And that you'll see that person in heaven one day. Jesus Christ, under him, in him, has abolished these walls of division that divide us. And only he can do that. Only Christ can do it. There's not a more powerful unifying agent than the blood of Jesus Christ. There's not a better message of hope, of unity, or of peace. Look at these last two verses here. I I just want you to see this. Christ is our access. Christ is our access. Sinner A, sinner B, they have access because of the cross to the Father. Look at this. He came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So Christ came, didn't he? He preached peace to the Gentile and he preached peace to the Jew. And through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We have access through Jesus Christ. The best illustration of this is found in John chapter 10. So I'm going to have you turn your Bibles again. Look, go over to John chapter 10. In the Gospels, you have to see this here. The reality that Jesus gives us access to God. Jesus says in John 10, 7. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. What does the door do? It opens and closes. It provides access. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Who do you think you'll gain, you have more loyalty with? The Savior who laid his life down for you or your ethnic group? Who's going to be more loyal to you? The Savior who laid his life down for you. Look at verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, 
He sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand, cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, wait, pause here. What you've got to understand is Jesus is speaking primarily to a Jewish audience. Primarily to a Jewish audience here. And look at what he says in verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. He's talking to the Jews. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. I can't wait to get to next week. Ephesians 2 verses 19 to 20. To talk about this idea of this one flock, this people that God has brought together from all nations, the church of Jesus Christ. But here we deal with the idea simply that Jesus Christ, his blood, reconciles us to each other. And so that we can have unity, unity through one door, Jesus Christ. His blood built the bridge. His blood made a way for new people to form, a new worshiping people. And that's the church of Jesus Christ. Now, let's just look simply at the diagnosis and the solution again. What was our diagnosis? Separation from God results in separation from each other. So what's the answer? Jesus Christ, he reconciles us both to God and to each other. Jesus' solution. Do you have another message? Do you have something else to say? Here's what you should do. Preach Christ and live like Christ. That's how you can have the greatest impact in this declining culture. Win more to Christ, you'll win more brothers and sisters of many different ethnicities. Evangelize the gospel to all. Take it to all nations. Don't be prejudiced. Don't be biased in your gospel presentation. Only taking it to some, the close ones, the comfortable ones. You see a stranger, he looks uncomfortable or she looks uncomfortable to you. May the Holy Spirit prick your conscience to go share the gospel with them. So that you can see the gospel work mightily in their life. One more passage and then we'll end on this, okay? Revelation 7. Can I give you a sneak peek? You know, I'm guilty sometimes in these TV shows of browsing to like the the last thumbnail so I can look and see who won, right? Or you can kind of look and see what happens. I'm guilty of that. I'm just confessing that. But I want to give you a sneak peek of heaven. It's it's one of the mo- one of the most beautiful pictures I've ever read or seen. And then we'll close. Look at uh, Revelation seven nine. This is John. He saw a vision of the throne room of God, the place where people worship. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels, angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. An incredible sight of heaven, isn't it? You have this multitude of many nations, languages, ethnicities, worshiping God. Then you have these elders, you have these angels, these four living creatures. Who are they? One of the elders looked to John and said, verse 13, who are these? clothed in white robes 
and from where have they come? Don't you think John would have been curious to know, what are, who are those angels? What, are, what about those four living creatures? What about the elders? Who are they? No, no, no. The, the elder says, who are these people clothed in white robes? They're the spectacle here. I love what John says to him, verse 4, 14. Sir, you know. <laughs> you know the answer to your own question. And what does the elder say? These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne. He will be their what? Shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. Look to the right and to the left in heaven. In God's throne room. You'll not see a unified color. Or ethnicity. Or language. You'll see a unified people. Made of. Many languages, colors, and cultures standing together for the same cause, worshiping the king. That's what we look forward to. That's what we have because of Jesus Christ. His blood built that bridge. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, <clears throat> thank you for salvation. Thank you for the beautiful, beautiful salvation that you saw fit to die on the cross for sinners not just one ethnic group not just for the Jews but for us too for all nations men and women of every tongue language color ethnic background that we could all be one in Christ I look forward to heaven to for that picture to become a reality of the future. God, I pray that you'd help us to preach Christ and live like Christ. We love you in Jesus' name, amen.